I'm Will Hedrick. And I'm Jordan Schaffer. And this is Dog Ears and Timestamps, a book club podcast. This is a bloody book. Literally, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dude, it's freaking, it's bloody, it's gory, it's, uh, but not so much that it, that it makes you gross out. Like, if it was on HBO nowadays, it'd be gross, but think like 1975 HBO. <laughs> <laughs> like the time the book was written. Yeah, yeah. No, um, yeah, dude, it was, uh, it was good, it was graphic. Um, when, uh, we were talking about it a little bit, but, uh, why don't you tell everybody else, when, uh, when did you find time to read? I barely did, honestly. <laughs> I, um only read like the past couple of nights and even then it was like super late way too late for me to really get anything done and I kept falling asleep so I think I did the majority of the reading I did today when I woke up oh, nice. and then immediately just started the two chapters over and started doing the notes so it's fresh yeah <laughs> nice when you're reading late at night does your kindle fall on your face because when I'm, like, even watching shows on my phone, I'll drop my phone on my face and just, like, wake myself up I again. I don't usually <laughs> read laying down like that. Oh, okay. If I'm laying down all the way, I'll be on my side. And mm-hmm. then I just have it, like, you know, sitting on the bed yeah, or whatever. You'd fall on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when did you read it? You were gone this weekend, weren't you? Yeah, I went, uh, I went hunting this weekend, which was a lot of fun. But I didn't really... So I was thinking, like, oh, perfect, you know, three and a half hour drive there, three and a half hour drive back. I could listen several times you know like Mm -hmm. if i wanted i don't think i listened really much at all i listened a little bit on the way back the the guys i went out there with i was talking about the book and the the podcast and how i was thinking about listening uh at some point just like yeah dude put it on like are you at a good spot like just catch me up i was like oh okay this is what we do on the show i can do this (laughs) (laughs) so um so i caught him up real quick got him right to where we were in the story and then he hopped right in and he's just like tell me about characters or whatever, if like you forgot to mention them or, or whatever happened. And then um, he was just so tired from the, the weekend, I think he was dozing off. And yeah. <laughs> so I was just like, I'm not going to put him through that. And then we started getting into, uh, we wanted to stop for food. And then it was just like, I'll just talk, you right, know, right. I don't need to read it. But then, um, then uh, Monday, I read a lot. And today, I read a lot and took the notes today. Yeah. Mm. I did, yeah, it was good. Have you been busy at work this, this last week or is it's it calmed nice. down? It's calmed down finally a little bit. At least just that I'm only like at, like 42, 45 hours and not 50 oh, to yeah. 55 hours. Yeah, well, you said 65 <laughs> in uh, Thanksgiving, so... Thanksgiving week was pretty wild. Cause, mm-hmm. Yeah, like yeah, like we were talking about earlier, that was like a 60, 65-hour uh, week, all things considered. Now, eight of those hours is just gratis because we get holiday pay as full-timers, but yeah. that still makes it like 58 hours that I worked, so... Nice. I mean, yeah, that week was pretty crazy. Do you, do you work like 12 several 12 hour days right or mm-hmm. oh, okay dang dude a 12 hour day at the same like store it's gotta be maddening at a certain point right yeah i mean it, it kind of depends on what it is that i was doing usually the 12 and 13 hour days were whenever i was doing the actual computer repairs so oh, okay it was not as maddening yeah but standing on like the counter and dealing with clients for 12 mm-hmm. hours is maddening. yeah and definitely more than i can handle those days I would try to cut early if I could. <laughs> or at the very least, I wouldn't be there later than I was scheduled like I was right. the other days. Gotcha. Yeah, the only job I ever had to do 12-hour shifts, it was three days a week you'd do 12 hours, and then four days a week you'd do 12-hour days. So like mm-hmm. one day a week you'd get more than, you know, 40 a week, and then the next week you'd get less. So it like kind of balanced right. out. But dude, it was it was stretching picture frame, or like uh, it was at a place called um, Fast, Fr- Fast Frames. 
build a sign. I don't know. It was one of those. <laughs> and um, we built just those canvas uh, frames that people print pictures onto, and then we stapled them onto and stretched them over the canvas. Oh, okay. But that's what I did for like 12 hours. And they'd ugh. give you like three breaks at the day and like a lunch or whatever, but it was just like, ugh. Dude. Yeah, that sounds pretty bad. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, yeah, you really had to, do. yeah, dude, luckily they let you do headphones and stuff because you really had to like kind of get in your own little zone, your own little world. <laughs> right, yeah. Like by hour eight, you're like, fuck, dude, four more? Ugh. All right, I got this. I'm already here. <laughs> Let me go to the bathroom. <laughs> but yeah, man, so um, want to just hop right in? Yeah, might as well. Let's just get at it. All right, dude. Part three, The Deserted Village. We open with lyrics from Endless Sleep, which is an old rock song that uh, doesn't really have any sort of... It's one of those songs that's so old that we don't know who the author was. Mm. Um, and like a lot of people have done editions of it and stuff like that in the same way that like green sleeves we don't know who wrote green sleeves or uh, house of the rising sun mm-hmm. different things like that okay and then if you go to like like green sleeves if you look at european culture like there's a bunch of songs like that because those are just like old folk songs mm-hmm. we don't really have that so much in america because we're so young yeah, yeah. but we've got things like house of the rising sun mm-hmm. and endless sleep okay after that we've got an entry from pose the haunted palace and then after that a line from uh, bob dylan's north country blues it all pretty much talks about a deserted village. So. Yeah, <laughs> the name of this section, yes. Part 3. Chapter 14, The Lot, 4. Excerpt from an almanac on the night of October 5th, as well as weather conditions and the lack of any reports to the Cumberland County Police. People are turning in droves. Ava Miller realizes Weasel Craig is missing, but leaves it alone for the time being. Yeah, it uh, it, it was kind of funny because when, um, at least when you're listening, like, at least for me, I, I wasn't really listening as much to the entry from the old farmer's almanac i didn't listen mm-hmm. as much to that i was sort of started tuning in when it was ava mm-hmm. and uh, she's just she's just complaining she's like where the heck is is ed like he needs to be yeah. doing these tours if it was any other day like i'd be mad but and then she started feeling kind of spooked out and freaked out she's a bit just, out of sorts yeah she is... seems pretty in tune with it too because i don't think many other people are out of sorts just from the ominous feel of their glow of the town you know that aren't part of our crew not that's given to us right away there is a point later on where it seems like people are starting to catch oh, on yeah. for sure um, when, it's, this, this, <laughs> when it's like over 50 percent yeah higher. right <laughs> but uh, yeah she definitely is starting to get the feeling that you know something she doesn't really know what the feeling is maybe she's just like eh, something's weird yeah she knows it's off yeah she talks um, about it, be, it being the same feeling she had when like her husband died oh yeah that yeah, she, she had a bad feeling that about morning. the day yeah. yeah so she's a very similar feeling to that so kind of sets the tone <laughs> she gets interrupted mark petrie shows up to see ben Ava tells him that Ben is sleeping. Mark will wait. Homer McCaslin is leaving the Nortons after receiving the missing the missing persons call from them. On the drive away, he notices Susan's car off the road. He stops to investigate it. Um, while he's investigating the car, he gets turned by Susan and Barlow, who show up. That was a pretty cool scene. It uh, it didn't explicitly say Barlow, I don't think, but you know who it, it is. said Susan and him or yeah, something like that. Yeah, because it was from Gillespie. No, not Parkins. It from, was from Homer McCaslin's point, McCaslin's point, yeah, point yeah, of view. The the county sheriff. Yeah, it was from his uh, perspective. So that was interesting because it was like in a, in a dark haired man he had never seen before, and it's like he's seen everybody. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. And uh, and you know that's the several descriptors we get for him. Even right. though like when you're online and you're looking up Salem's Lot or whatever, and you see the wiki entries and you see like an entry for Barlow, it is the most generic like old school scary vampire. You know, it's yeah. not a very charming romantic guy <laughs> like right. like they I have conjured in my brain. You know, it's a very yeah. like I feel like yeah the, the images that I put in my brain in any book that I read mm-hmm. is always different than whatever 
artist representation that I see online, mm-hmm. whether it be like an officially sanctioned one or just like artwork that somebody did at some point and got put on the wiki. Yeah, I uh, I saw some cool fan art for uh, for Father Callahan. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, it was it was cool. I was doing a little research into him because he's also in one of King's other uh, stories in uh, The Dark Tower. He becomes part of like the crew after a mm-hmm. certain section. And um, he's also in like a separate little like one-off book that King wrote for uh, for the story because people wanted more. But I think he was done with the epic, you know. So he wrote mm-hmm. like a five and a half, you know. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. Father Callahan's in that one too, or at yeah. least a character named Father Callahan. No, it's it's the Father Callahan. It's his books are connected, and they pull people from these worlds. Even from like, but the Dark Tower series is like in a fantastical setting, is it not? Right, but it pulls from his horror worlds. Like the Dark Tower is horrific. In its own sense. It's like a horror fantasy. Yeah, but I, I mean, all that I'm saying is that, like, this taking place in actual 1975 America, he doesn't then transcend mm-hmm. time and space and show up in... He does, yes. Okay. That happens. Yeah, for sure. Okay. I'm not even kidding. Like, literally, like, he connects all his books like that. Okay. And I would give you a big spoiler for the whole series. Um, if okay. I told you <laughs> if I tell you anymore. Okay, then. All right, all right. But it's, it's fun how he does it. It doesn't sound as cheesy as I made it, you know. But he, he writes his books... To be related to each other. So there are, there are mm-hmm. points where, you know, I'll remember some... They're like, maybe next time I go through uh, the Dark Tower series, I'll probably remember things from this that's like, oh, okay, that's like influence. Or he'll go back mm-hmm. to, you know, areas that he's been before. Like, in uh, like he'll go to places like Maine and stuff. Like, he always right. goes to Maine. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I just thought it was interesting. So I was doing some Father Callahan research, and I liked his fan art, so... Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and so Homer gets uh, turned by Barlow and Susan. Yeah. There's more people turning. Uh, the town is just turning, turning, turning. And fast, dude. It's like a zombie apocalypse style. Right. Like how fast they're turning. <laughs> we cut to Mark telling Ben about Susan. Ben has a flashback to when his wife Miranda died. They get in his car to drive. While they're driving, Mark tells Ben his whole story from Danny to Susan. That was a funny little scene. Just another point where it's like Mark being the <laughs> being the alpha. You know, he uh, he tells Ben what goes on. Ben's like in shock, and then the boy nodded, taking charge effortlessly. Maybe we should go for a ride in your car and talk. I don't want anyone else to see me around. I'm playing hooky, and I'm already in Dutch with my folks. Yeah, it's like <laughs> so chill. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, he could have been sitting there all he's morning totally thinking about an excuse, yeah. but he uh, he's he's good. While they're driving, they find Susan's car along with a 38 revolver on the ground. Ben tells Mark about Matt and Jimmy, their allies, and takes them to the hospital to meet them. They arrive at the hospital, and Mark tells everybody his story. Jimmy determines the revolver to be McCaslin's, dropped when he was attacked. They go over Matt's discussion with Father Callahan. Matt then gives them the info dump on vampire lore and everything that sticks, given what they've seen, as well as their plan of attack. Yeah, we also learn that Mark knows a lot about vampires too, right? Like, is this the point where where it really, like, solidifies how much he knows? Well, he he mentions one thing, and then Matt's like, oh, so you know stuff too. And he's like, yeah, I watch a lot of movies. Which is something Uh, okay. He made it seem like, I guess the way I heard heard it, 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 to me it sounded like it was a rare thing. Like, super rare, like, because it was the dog. Yeah. So so It's It's definitely not, like, the first thing you think of when you think of vampires. Yeah, yeah. But Mark being obsessed with horror stuff, as we've seen previously, mm-hmm. it, it makes sense that he would know more than the average person. Yeah. yeah. They, so they're going over all of that information. On the way out of the hospital room, Ben and Jimmy make a joke about Matt reminding them of Van Helsing. 
Is it just in the fact that he... That's definitely the role that he's in right now. Oh, is it, so is Van Helsing's role like... Van Helsing the, in the uh, Hugh Jackman movie that came out when different. we were young yeah. is like super Van Helsing where he's like oh, the okay. hero. Van Helsing is usually the old man with all the knowledge. Oh, okay. That it, makes more that's sense. That's usually the role that Van Helsing's character yeah, has. I have the Hugh Jackman Van Helsing in my brain. Yeah. Like young and fit Van <laughs> right, Helsing. Right, doing all the action. Yeah. yeah. Um, whereas, and maybe in some stories when he's younger... He that probably. is something that he did. <laughs> but typically, in the majority of the stories, Van Helsing is already an old man. And he's mm. just informing the new heroes, you know, this is what you need to look out for and uh, that sort of thing. Okay, okay. I need to read a book about him. Or with him in it, at least. Ava <laughs> yeah. goes to the cellar and thinks she smells something dead. She notices it coming from the root cellar and has an unknown dread come to her. Don't go down there. She absently calls for Ed, then leaves. The group goes to St. Andrews to enlist Father Callahan, confess their sins, and obtain holy water and the host. The father hears out the three vampire hunters, thinking how unbelievable everything is. Are you sure you must have the Catholic Church in this? Yes, Ben said. But we'll proceed without you if we have to. If it comes to that, I'll go alone. No need of that, Father Callahan said, rising. Follow me across to the church, gentlemen, and I will hear your confessions. And Ben gives his confession. They all give his confession. Callahan then dons his full priesthood regalia, hands out vials of water from the holy font, and brings a small silver pyx containing several pieces of the host. So when he does his confession uh, at the end, have you ever done confession? I've never done it. No. Okay. Um, he makes him do 10 Our Fathers and 10 Hail Marys for a lifetime of sin. Like 40 years of sin or 35 years of sin. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what the going rate yeah, is. Yeah, me neither. It seemed pretty good. It seemed like a good fair trade. Um, right, 20 or, prayers. Well, not even fair. It seemed like really, really easy. <laughs> like right. I should go get absolved of my sins. <laughs> but uh, And even in this story, it was funny because, you know, they all say they're not Catholic or Jimmy says, you know, I am, but not practicing. And then when they all go to their confession, like, he's like, uh, I don't know those. I don't know the our, our fathers or the Hail Marys. He's like, I'll write them down for you and you just yeah. see them on the way. <laughs> it's like, just, he's got like cards yeah. of them, which is probably because at least something that you see in movies a lot like someone will have a turn and find themselves in a church confessing things oh and, and yeah like it's just like somebody nice who's never been to church there, before yeah. so they if, certainly if it's like a big popular church then they mm -hmm. probably have like you can probably get it from the the catholic surplus store or wherever they, <laughs> <laughs> wherever they get their shit from whatever their supply uh, you know their supplier is they have all sorts of things and Dude, if that's they probably have like rosaries thing, and pocket bibles and things like that to hand out and that, that sort of stuff tm 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 that's ours now if it's not already yeah there. yeah catholic TM, surplus TM. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well no just the 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 prayers on business on cards oh, okay. <laughs> prayer cards right, there you go so they're they're leaving they've got all father callahan has all his gear they first go to jimmy's office where he grabs a coat and a hammer after stopping at a supermarket to purchase all of the garlic they go to a flower shop the shop is all out of roses. A man described like Straker came through recently and bought them all. Uh, they get back in the car after the flower shop, and they're arguing about what to do. Ben is nearly in hysterics over the idea of Barlow being several steps ahead of them. Decide that they've got no time for anything else. They can't go to another flower shop. They must go to the Marston house now. I like that he didn't go get garlic. Like, <laughs> you know, like that that wasn't a big thing, but he got every single rose in town. Because... You know, he's setting up defenses, and he's obviously not scared right. of the garlic in town. Or maybe they're just like, we stock garlic Well, if it's at a grocery quickly. store, yeah. <laughs> if they stock garlic regularly enough, you can't catch all of it. Yeah. But yeah, he got all the roses, too. Yeah. Not just the white ones. So that was interesting. Right. 
They arrive at the Marston house, and Father Callahan immediately recognizes the evil of the place. He even muses about how there was a suicide and a murder at the house, so he knows it to be unhallowed ground. Though he doesn't mention anything to everybody else, he feels like that's not really appropriate at this time. Yeah. They're thinking about what to do to get in. I think Jimmy suggests breaking a window just like Mark and Susan had did previously. Yeah. But Ben says, no, we're going right through the fucking front door. Yeah, we're not hiding about it. We're not sneaking around. We're, we're exorcists. <laughs> <laughs> so they approach the front door, see that there's one of those yellow locks on the door. Father Callahan steps forward. He's going to take care of it. He... <laughs> Raises his crucifix, declares the name of God the Father, and smites the door with the crucifix. There's a flash of light, breaking glass, and a melted yell lock left on the porch. It's a, it's funny how King like describes that. There was a flash of light. Afterward, they had all agreed there had been. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's like in the moment, it didn't. It seemed like oh, I must have imagined that. But then they're all like talking. Yeah, you about saw it that later. shit it's too, like, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, there was a flash. Even Callahan was like, "That is the most amazing thing that has ever happened to me." He <laughs> 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 outright says it. <laughs> they proceed into the house. At that point, they first go upstairs and find Straker's corpse strung up upside down with its throat ripped open. Yeah, he'd been bled out. They spend some time going over the scene and discussing it all uh, before they recognize that it's just Barlow playing more tricks, trying to distract them as much as possible, so they go back down to the kitchen and the cellar. They enter the cellar, find a letter that's been left for them. Mark knows that it's for them and that Barlow is no longer there, presumably because he'd been in there with the evil presence before, and now it's not the same evil presence, so... Uh, I think it's safe to assume that that's why he knows. <laughs> yeah, we would read the letter to you guys, but it's a couple pages. It's really I thought cool, about though. taking it all down. I thought that there's a lot of worthwhile stuff there, but it is really long. <laughs> yeah, it's really long, but it's super cool. I'm sure it's out there somewhere to, yeah. just for like a little excerpt, like a teaser for the the book. But it's yeah. It's all you'd really have to good. if it's not if you're not reading along, all you'd have to do is probably just look up Barlow's letter or something like that, and you'd yeah. find it. It just sets the scene right. It's super creepy. He's guessed everything perfectly. He's like he's, it's all his personality. He's got such a huge huge ego he's sure of himself describes how he's been around for a millennia at this point he what he does in the letter is he taunts the three of them uh, the three of them that he knows he doesn't know jimmy doesn't he, oh okay yeah he, yeah he only calls out ben mark and callahan yeah um, and uh ben because susan has probably informed him of mm-hmm. ben mark because he's seen mark uh, and then Callahan, because he's the local Catholic priest, and obviously. <laughs> I thought he said something to Matt, too. Maybe he just referenced it. He references they... Matt. Oh, okay. Uh, That's what it was. But he knows that, I would assume that he knows that Matt's in the hospital from and Susan as go. well. yeah. So, so he knows that he's not there reading the letter, but he's just, he, he does make mention like, but what about all the stuff that our friend Matt Burke has told us? You know, and stuff like that. Yeah. But he doesn't oh. say anything about Jimmy Cody. Uh, it says Mr. Cody, but that's it. Oh, I see right here. My good friend, my good, good friends, Mr. Mears, Mr. Cody, Master oh, yeah. Petrie, and That's Father true. Callahan. But he doesn't that part. talk to him. Yeah, he, <laughs> he doesn't just have, knows he doesn't have anything to call him out on. Yeah, he's like, you're a good doctor. Keep up the good work. Yeah, <laughs> yeah in, in the letter, he, he references that, it, that he left Susan there for Ben to do his practicing on for staking through the heart. And he makes fun of father callahan and now he's a faltering priest that yeah. surely can't hold to his belief and and even if he could besides the fact barlow's been around forever and yeah. he's, he's been fighting the goodness in the world since before his church was even thought of and things like that dude this is such a power play because he's he's got so confident that ben's not only not gonna stab susan he definitely shakes everybody for yeah, sure because why like why would he give him practice at killing people at killing him <laughs> you know what i mean like right. he would never want anybody to be good at wielding a stake and a hammer <laughs> Even if one practices it, you know, so he definitely doesn't think they're going to do it. 
And then, um, or even if he thinks that he is going to do it, it's just like, like he, he leaves Susan there to give them something to do so that he's got more oh, time distraction. To, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's just, he's probably got like a million, not a million, but several <laughs> contingencies that he's already put into place that we never see because they never come up. I'd like to believe that. I'd like to go like sneak some other houses and Him just doing behind it. the scenes and yeah. stuff, you know, like, oh, Barlow actually left three messages in three houses. Right. <laughs> right. Him people. being alive and doing all of this successfully, as long as he has, he's mm-hmm. definitely, you know, and, and like they say multiple times, you know, he's several steps ahead of them constantly. Yeah, they describe him as like a chess master, like mm-hmm. how you'd have to be, you know. Right. And, uh, the, and then in his, his taunt to Mark, he says, like, he almost sort of, like, respects him, or at least respects the courage that he displayed, and then says that, uh, but he's mad at him for having killed Straker. Oh, yeah. Who was, was his most loyal, his most loyal servant, had a lisp there for a second. <laughs> most loyal. So now what he's gonna do is he's gonna kill Petri's parents, maybe him, you know, something like that, but he will come into his service. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, he's not just going for Petri, he's going for, everybody <laughs> yeah the whole family he's yeah he's, it's all over. very north korea of him that's what they do when you when one of you leaves like if i if we were related or whatever and i left and they caught me leaving not even if they caught me if they just found out that i left they'd literally murder my whole family right like, yeah. one generation away just so that that's incentive for me not to leave yeah. you know rather than just threatening to kill me we cut to parkins and nolly talking about seeing jimmy's car up at the marston house yeah parkins is shaken park you feeling all right Parkins Gillespie considered it. Nope, he said. <laughs> well, what in hell's the matter? I believe, Gillespie said, that I'm scared shitless. Cut back to the vampire hunters. Susan is laying on a raised dais around the corner in the cellar. Ben is desperate to not have to do it, but he begins to drive the stake into Susan's heart. Yeah, being the uh, the lover... That's like the closest mm-hmm. to like spouse and right. like being like. That's a bit of the love. lore that Matt picked up somewhere and said it ha- it should be you that puts down Susan. That'll be the surest way to ensure that she's free. Yeah, there seems to be a lot of unsaid like rules that's just like go off of your instinct or go off your feeling like, and you'll know it's right. And we'll talk about them in a minute, but I don't know. It, I, I like it. It makes it seem even more archaic and more like old school mm-hmm. vampire lore. It's like go off. What you've always heard go off. There does seem to be a bit of a push for this to be, for it to be known that King was trying to stick to as much of the old as possible with, you know, Matt coming up with a bunch of old stuff from the lore, you know, only picking and choosing what seems, and what seems to stick to what's happening to them Mm -hmm. with Callahan being so into the the old idea of the church and the old idea of good and evil Mm -hmm. and, you know, what that sort of power means. And all that sort of stuff, so it definitely seems like that was a, a concerted effort on King's part. For sure. So he, yeah, he starts driving the stake into Susan's heart. Susan the vampire flails and screams as the stake is hammered into her chest. Blood sprays everywhere until Susan arches her back one last time, and a huge explosion of blood, darker than the rest, issues from the stake wound. A final scream, then blood boiling out of her mouth as a shadow leaves her. Susan's corpse relaxes. It was done. Man, if none of that happened, though, how bad would he feel? Right, <laughs> <What>? yeah. <laughs> oh, this is all a hoax. Ben flees to the yard. There's a description of many townspeople that we know and what they are doing at six. It goes over like several named people, like the McDougals, and um, I think we see something from the the one 
the wife that was having an affair with the the younger like cable boy. Oh yeah, and, like her husband and what they're doing and different things. They're, I mean, everybody's just like sitting down to dinner doing different things. It's six o'clock. It's about to be nighttime, so that's why I guess it's important we're getting a primer for where some people are going to be. It does kind of set a tone too for for the town going mad. You know, like just everybody in town is like mm-hmm. families are falling apart, people are disappearing, or people like yeah. that aren't turned yet are at least getting exposed. Like Roy McDougal, he's exposed to two now. You know that mm-hmm. are um, and some of them are starting to become visibly scared. Like I think it says that the the gossip queen, the cheesemay queen, she's like. <laughs> this is like the one time that she's not looking out her window or something like that. She doesn't want to see what's happening. Yeah. She's got like some sort of sense of dread or, you know, something to that effect. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, you know, setting the scene for the town's fall at this point. Yeah. It's a, uh, yeah, that, that feels like a setting, just like laying mm-hmm. some like solid we, groundwork. We've been involved in this. So now let's cut back to the big picture and see what's going on elsewhere. And then we'll cut back into what's yeah. going on to take us through. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's fun too, like having a little bit of like background, like how we know like Dud Rogers or whatever is the guy at the dump and how he's got a hunchback and all this stuff about him. And then later they just briefly say like, and Dud did this. And it's like, oh, we know all about Dud and why he was right, yeah. It's just, it's kind of cool. Like, I guess he lays a lot of, you know, groundwork to make it important or not make it important, but make it. I think honestly, just to make it more fun later for him, yeah. so that he can reference it makes people it, that he's an easier transition for us to get into other things, so that yeah. we can see the wide picture instead of just following these two or three characters, or you know, you know, whatever you know the individual story is. Yeah. Jimmy and Ben returned to Matt, tell him what happened. Callahan and Mark went to Mark's to tell his parents everything. Matt tells Jimmy to call the Petries and have them come to the hospital. He does not like them being separated. Jimmy goes to make that call, and the phone line at the Petries is cut. Yeah, did they just split up because they thought it was like, let's just two birds with one stone, let's do this real quick? I think or... that's what it was. Okay. They didn't seem, or at least I don't remember them giving a good reason. I don't really remember either. I just <laughs> remember they were like, them doing it. Yeah, they were leaving. Father Callahan and, had already yeah. called the parents to tell them, like, hey, I've got your son, like, I've got your son. <laughs> no, but like, right, hey, yeah. I'm hanging out with your son, we'll be back later. So, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe that's why. But. I think it was just that Father Callahan, even though now he's seen the vampire firsthand, I mean, he already believed everybody, mm-hmm. but now that he's seen the vampire firsthand, um, or even though he's seen the vampire firsthand, he's still like in a much more outsider role, or at least a much more responsible outsider role. He's like, we can't just keep this kid with us. We, <laughs> we need to go tell his parents what's right. going on, and you know, we need to be doing these more thoughtful about especially because he got the parents got threatened specifically yeah and that was also they need to go retrieve them Um, yeah they're in whether they want to be or not and i guess jimmy thought well ben and i will go back to matt and we'll you know already start preparing what's going to happen next or something like that i guess Mm -hmm. that was their thinking bad thinking (laughs) (laughs) henry petri can't believe what father callahan is telling him he refuses to entertain a second of it yeah, he's got like a page and a half resume here too of like all of the different awards. <laughs> we go over how he he's get. awesome, just like Mark is awesome. <laughs> oh yeah, no, Mark is gonna have an equally long resume. I get annoyed better. with Henry Petrie during this section. Yeah, he's <laughs> I'm like just going over like how awesome he is. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't have that tone. I maybe I am projecting that tone on him because I'm already you know annoyed with Mark in different sections, and so now fuck you, you, you know, you're doing the same thing. <laughs> but yeah, he, he's totally not into it. Father Callahan kind of calls him on it. He says something. Like, uh, do, does, do the executives at your company allow, or does your company allow executives to make decisions based on internal beliefs? <laughs> uh, because that's not logic, logic, <laughs> that's not logic, that's can't. And yeah. then Petri is like, 
Fine. It's like you're right. <laughs> you're not wrong. Yeah, fine. And so he's we'll we'll call the we'll call your people at the hospital and talk, and, and then we'll go discuss things further. Because at the very least, you've gotten my son into some serious shit. Yeah. That's when they find out that their phone line is cut. But this is Jerusalem's lot. And the telephone service needs no vampires to disrupt it. Yeah. We all know that. Okay. I assure you, Jerusalem's Lot Telephone Company does not need vampires to be cut. Yeah, and then the lights went yeah. out. So that was the end of that scene. We cut back to Jimmy, Ben, and Matt, who are despairing over what must be happening at the Petries. Yeah, this is when Ben is super like, I must get revenge for Susan. That was like all I got from that. Yeah, he's like in total despair, and Matt has to sort of bring him back and... um and say, we're going to get him, blah, blah, blah. And then Ben sort of latches onto that. And it's like, yeah, we'll go get him. I'm going to get him tonight, though. And Matt's like, no. no calm down. We are a family tonight. Right. <laughs> so then we go back to the Petries again. Uh, Barlow is in the kitchen. Yeah, it just cuts right to Barlow, which was... It's a little... It's like kind of uh, cool, because we're already... It's a little Tarantino-y. Where yeah. It cuts to Father Callahan with the cross held aloft. Mm-hmm. And then... A quick retelling of what happened in the time that we were cut away to the other three. Yeah, because um, I mean, it all happens so fast, as they yeah. say. So, uh, like the, the light cuts out, the glass breaks, or something like that, and then um, he touches the cross and it lights up, and he starts to see uh, Mark dragging his mom mm-hmm. out of the room and into the Henry Petrie is like dumbfounded, like, what is going on? Yeah, and Barlow think... goes and grabs Henry Petrie's head and then reaches out for June. Petri's head and smashes them together, killing them. And then Mark freaks out instinctually because his parents got eviscerated and he jumps and attacks Barlow foolishly and he gets captured. So then that's where we are right at the beginning of the chapter where yeah. Barlow has uh, Mark in his hand and he's mm-hmm. a face off Father Callahan versus Barlow. So. Yeah. Bar- I'm sorry, not Barlow. Callahan is, uh, you know, pushing the cross forward and declaring the father's name and different things like that, which is affecting Barlow and until the point where Barlow says, stop it or I'm going to kill the boy. So then Callahan sort of stops advancing at least. And it, then Barlow says, what will you give for this wretch or something like that? Yeah, no, that's, you, I think that's exactly it. Will you throw away your cross and fight me on even ground? Mm-hmm. And Callahan sort of falters a little bit. He's like, yeah, I will. Because he, he knows that it's the right thing to do. He wants to do it, but at the same time, he's like, fuck. <laughs> and he's thinking, how do I save the kid? Because that's the good, you know, that's the right. right thing to do. How do I save the kid? And but how I don't do we get out get of rid this? of my yeah. only thing that's helping. Right. And like, I know this is working. I don't, you know. And I think because he starts to lose faith in, like, his overall goodness, um, like, the cross starts to lose its power or whatever, mm-hmm. too, because it starts to kind of, like, dim. I yeah. Think. Barlow says, well, throw your cross down. And Callahan says, I'm, and, and trust you to let Mark go after that. I'd sooner. Uh, it'd be easier for me to trust a rattlesnake in my shirt to not bite me or something yeah. like that. Um, so like, then, but I trust you. Yeah, he releases Mark. Uh, Mark then kind of runs away to his parents' bodies and then... Well, he spits on him too. Yeah, well, they're, they're talking... Uh, <laughs> oh, right Barlow there, yeah. and Callahan go back and forth a little bit more. Gotcha. And then Barlow starts talking to Petri and he says something like, soon brother, we'll be together oh, and things yeah. like that. Because he really sort of respects... Mark's tenacity and stuff like well, that. Well, he got Straker too. Yeah, I could see yeah. him looking. And so he like wants to turn him. He thinks yeah. that he'd be a pretty valuable asset, I guess. He would be a good creepy kid vampire. Right. Too. He would be so good. <laughs> and so, like, sort of in the middle of that, uh, where I think, like, right after he says to us, say, brother, we'll soon be together at that point, is when Mark spits in his face and says, I will kill you. And then he runs away. Um, well, yeah, he spits in Barlow's face, and yeah. then Barlow sort of goes into like a serious rage. One. 
that's like you know it's not like he's he's hiding nothing he's in a true rage yeah his brow darkened with a depth of fury that made his previous expressions seem like what they might well have been mere play acting <laughs> so he's been fake this whole time until he gets spit on right callahan uh pushes forward with the cross to push barlow back away from mark because it seems like barlow's about to just lose everything and just attack petri for what happened it, while callahan is doing this last effort of pushing barlow back mark runs away he yeah. says, I will kill you, and runs away. And then it even says in the book that if Callahan had pressed forward at this moment, he might have banished Barlow that night. But he sort of falters and doesn't. Just lied about the throwing the cross thing away? Yeah. <laughs> Is that good? Which is totally I mean, what... I mean, I would have... Well, he never agreed to it, I don't think. Oh. Or, I mean, I don't, I don't know. There was some specific wording that I didn't latch on to. Mm-hmm. Um, so who knows exactly what happened. But yeah. he, he definitely could have... Or at least the book tells us. Yeah, the book says <laughs> that, that was he, his moment. He could have gotten away with it for the night. He could have mm-hmm. banished him and then, you know, on to the next night. But he falters. Yeah. It's at this point that Barlow walks, recognizes that he's faltering. The cross is losing its glow. He, Father Callahan is losing his surety that he had previously. Barlow moves towards Callahan and uh, takes the cross from him and breaks it. Yeah, so it's got no power anymore. That's pretty crazy. He's got a quote here. Without faith, the cross is only wood. The bread baked wheat, the wine sour grapes. So that's what we were talking about. The crucifix is more than just being in the shape of a crucifix. It's the uh, power that you imbue with it, whether it's faith or, you know, whatever you want to call it. Um, Yeah, yeah, it's like the... This is like good versus evil, like yeah. yin and yang. Going back to Barlow saying that he's been around and fighting the forces of good since before the church was even a thought. There's definitely just good and evil in the world. Mm-hmm. And the Christianity and other religions are just our age's interpretation of good as far as Barlow considers it. Right. Then uh, he grabs Callahan and starts kind of musing over what he's going to do with him. says, I can... I could turn you and use you against your friends. I can do this and that, but what I'm going to do, I'm, I'm going to do something way worse than that for you, false priest or something like that. And Callahan's even thinking over things that Ben and Matt had said in different descriptions. There are things worse than death. Yeah, come false priest, learn of a true religion. Take my communion. And then he forces Callahan to drink his blood. He like grabs Callahan and then cuts his own neck with you know his claws or whatever, mm-hmm. and then pushes Callahan's face to the neck wound. At a point, Callahan can't breathe anymore, or he can't uh, hold in his breath anymore. So, the, you know, the body's natural reaction when you're suffocating is to breathe. When you can't hold it anymore, sucks in a bunch of the blood and drinks it. Yeah. Cut to Ann Norton arriving at the hospital. And we don't we don't know what the blood does either, so we don't know anything about how that's going. We're not really given anything. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely going to do something. <laughs> <laughs> and Norton arrives at the hospital. She has been entranced by Barlow, who commands her to go to the hospital and kill Matt Burke along with whoever else is there. She's got a gun. She's definitely in the process of turning, much in the way that Mike was in his story of the week where he felt mm-hmm. sick, and uh, when Floyd comes and attacks Ben, where they're all sort of in disarray to some degree with like a a pretty simple train of thought whatever it is that they were told to go do by barlow if they were told to do anything she uh holds up the girl at the counter but then her feet are kicked out from under her and then a a bit of a fight ensues with with some stranger who is just coming to visit his sister who had a baby and uh, an orderly that gets flagged down or called down 
they kind of beat the shit out of Anne. <laughs> yeah, it's like... Because she keeps fighting back. She's in, like, turning vampire strength and, you know... Oh, yeah. She's just got the single-mindedness of the mission to do what Barlow told her. So she's fighting back nonstop and <laughs> kind of beat the shit out of her. Yeah, he really did. He, like... It they punch her, like, two or three times in the face. <laughs> yeah, but in the face, yeah. dude. Like, it talks about punching her right in the jaw, which would put your lights out. You know, like, you'd be done after that. It really one. should, yeah. But they, you know, for good measure, give her yeah, a couple more walks. They have to keep going because she, keep, she keeps going until she loses consciousness, assumedly. Then uh, we cut to Matt's room where uh, Mark shows up, tells them everything that happened with the, you know, Barlow showing up the house and the fight with Callahan and all that. Uh, Callahan is returning to St. Andrews. He's uh, sort of in a daze as he's walking down the streets. It describes him. He's, he's like totally distraught with what happened. Mm-hmm. He knows that something bad has gone. He gets to St. Andrews and tries to get into the church, but the uh, door shocks him and he explodes backwards. He's unclean. Yeah, that's all we get, though. We don't know necessarily what that even means. Because we were talking about it earlier. If he was full vampire, he would be, like, revolted by the He would have never even tried to go yeah. back to the church, I would yeah. imagine. Yeah, just the thought of it would make him probably sick, you know? And so then, he's just... I think it, at some point he internally describes it as having been marked or something like that. Yeah, and so you made a good point later. got they, some evil mark on him, and he's he's been distanced from god and goodness and mm-hmm. presumably he, he i mean maybe he lives forever at this point and he sort of just wanders as an exile um if what you said earlier you know is, is true in the way that king connects everything then and it's the same callahan then that makes more sense that he now just becomes this eternal wanderer or something like yeah, that yeah the uh the world that's like moved on is kind of what they call the the world in like the dark tower series era like it's it's moved on from like our current society or whatever i guess mm-hmm. and uh it doesn't really explain a time frame it just sort of seems like it pulls people but uh in the dark tower series father callahan like regains his faith and like he's uh i don't know if he never goes in a in a church though now that i think that would about be it, I, need a, yeah, I need to, to think about that next time now that i know he's been like marked because he's got like they they talk about that in one of the books that I, ne- I didn't actually read that like five and a half you know mm-hmm. i never read that one is a win through the keyhole and the father callahan i think is a more main character in that book well that even if, i don't i don't know that's cool and the, and, and if if that's what it is and he you know literally transcends time and space to show up in that world somehow you know mm-hmm. whether he's drawn there or whatever it is mm-hmm. then that's really the only reasoning you have to say to be able to be like, well, now he's back with God because he transcended time and space and the rules might not apply oh, yeah. in that universe. You know? <laughs> it's that easy. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's like the easiest be... cop out of all oh, time. Oh, for sure. Like one, if you've got like time and space travel, then parallel universes, that's the only excuse you need to get away with any sort of reasoning. <laughs> and then the other big cop out is magic. Yeah. <laughs> if magic exists, then you can also get You're away good. with any sort of reasoning. <laughs> yeah. Those are like the easiest cop outs in storytelling period. Anyways. <laughs> yeah. Uh, That is all really interesting, though, and that gives me more reason to, one, continue reading Stephen King books, this one being my first one. I just never did for some Mm -hmm. stupid reason. And then, two, to get to the Dark Tower. Yeah, maybe so, part of that. And then, you know, as we've talked in several episodes before, how I just don't like scary things, generally. Yeah. Uh, But reading it is not nearly as bad as watching a movie or playing a game and different things like that. I can control the pace of this narrative very easily. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, uh, who knows what happens to Callahan really at this point. We've got some decent ideas. We'll see. And maybe we get, I mean, we do get more from him later, but even then it's still a little bit uh, left open. 
The hunters plan to return to the Petries the next day. Make 500 steaks. (laughs) Matt says, make at least 300, maybe even 500. (laughs) And I was thinking, God, how much time would that take? Can you not reuse a steak? Probably not, I guess. I guess the hope is to... I, I think in some tellings, you leave the steak in the heart. Oh, Makes sense. I would, I would do that for sure. Yeah, if I was trying to banish them forever. I know that even if I had no, I, I know I don't know because I don't know what would happen in that situation. But I would think that even if I had no prior knowledge of that, I would also think to leave the stake there. Yeah, <laughs> just seems like a good idea. Yeah, they will also search for Barlow, and they will also begin the vampire eradication. That's why they need so many hundreds of stakes. Mark remembers Barlow's hands having blue chalk on them. So they believe that Barlow may be hiding at the old Brock Street Elementary School. Yeah, they go through some powerful deductive reasoning to try and figure out where this blue chalk would come from. And, I mean, them all being in school or teachers, basically, or, you know, like doctors have been in school forever. Um, Matt's a teacher. Ben's basically a teacher. It Uh, seems to be, it's the only thing that they can conclude. And they go through the several different schools. It doesn't make sense that he'd be at the high school. Oh, yeah. They wouldn't be at the new grammar school because it's all glass windows. Mm -hmm. But the old grammar school the brock street school was built around the, the same time the, the second Marston and third House. stories are all boarded up so yeah. they could conceivably be hiding in there without anybody and nobody goes up there because they only use the first floor now yeah they're they like that tear that building down i think so with some deductive reasoning they decide that eh, i mean that is the most likely place that he's at so we'll check it out sounds like a plan jimmy seems to sort of continue to think about the blue chalk clue though he, he's just continuing to go over it Though he doesn't really say much else. Yeah. Cut to Miss Coogan, who is at the pharmacy uh, slash soda shop slash sundry store. Slash it's just one of those stores. That, you know, <laughs> right. This is one of those kind of general stores in a small town. Yeah. It's super slow. Nobody's there. In yeah, fact. she's literally sitting there nostalgically thinking about how it used to be busy and that people weren't as shitty back then. But even though it says that people were always... She was just, just, yeah. she was just as annoyed back then, but she's looking at it through nostalgia at this yeah, point. Yeah, so it, you um, can look back fondly. Yeah. And then Father Callahan walks in. It surprises her uh, because she's never seen him outside of his priestly garb, and yeah. he's just like in regular people clothes at this point. He asks for a bus ticket, the next bus ticket. Mm-hmm. He looks like really bad. Uh, yeah. She kind of goes back in her mind and thinks oh he's in shock thinking about to whenever her father died or something like that and the way her mother looked mm-hmm. and so she's just trying to like reason it figure out why he looks that way yeah, yeah. his his image has totally like shaken her and she's flustered it describes her as being flustered several times like yeah that. and she's like oh he's in shock he got a call that somebody's dead he, that's why he needs a bus ticket he just needs to go wherever it is he needs to go right now so where are you going uh, anywhere whatever the, <laughs> whatever the next bus ticket is i don't care and so then at that point, she's like, oh, something's really fucked up. I don't know what's going on. And she's like dropping bus tickets and she's like freaking out. And then she gives her the bus ticket. That, yeah, there's uh, a bus at 1110 that connects with Portland, Boston, Hartford, and New York. Ultimately, New York. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it'll be like $27 or something like that. And uh, she asks him to wait outside because he's totally got her upset, flustered. She, she's just not comfortable. He draws on some scripture and tells her that when she's driving home, because she lives in Falmouth, mm-hmm. uh, whenever she's driving home, not to pick up anybody, just get home and lock her doors, close her windows, all that sort of thing. Yeah, this, um, is, this is what you were saying earlier, how like he was marked, you know, and, uh, and the Lord set a mark upon Cain that whoever so found him should not kill him. And Cain went out from the face of the Lord and dwelt as a fugitive on the earth and the east side of Eden. That's scripture, Miss Coogan. 
the hardest scripture in the Bible. So it's like yeah. the Lord has banished you, but you can't die. So it's like yeah. purgatory, basically. Right. Yeah. Referencing Cain and Abel, the first murder and all that. So that's what, at the very least, that's the conclusion that Callahan has come to, has happened to him. That yeah. he's, you know, uh, separated from God and this is to be his fate now. Mm-hmm. So he gets his bus ticket and waits outside, presumably. Yeah. Things have gone bad in the lot now. Charlie Rhodes gets attacked by a bunch of kid vamps. Yeah, Charlie Rhodes being the <laughs> these that bus drivers that we talked driver. about that we didn't like. He just kicked kids off for no reason. We it, it's a kind of a long section for all that gets revealed. He like wakes up to the bus honking, mm-hmm. thinks about how he's been pranked in the past and like his windows smashed and stuff like that. And so it really he makes starts, you hate it, the guy. Yeah, you know, they make he, like, you hate him. He for assumes this who it is that did it. He tells the principal to suspend the kids and they get suspended, but then it ends up being somebody else. And he says, "Well, they deserved it anyway." Yeah, <laughs> he's just <laughs> such like, a God. shit bag. Yeah. Um, but he, he goes to the bus and finds uh, the the bully. What's his name? The the original bully that Mark thwarts in the beginning and is super cool. He thinks oh, all that yeah. in a tenth of a Richie, second, all that Richie shit. Bodden. Yeah, Richie Bodden. Yeah, uh, he's honking the horn and he's got vamp teeth. And then he turns and sees a bunch of kids sitting on the bus. Some of them being kids that rode his bus. Some of them not being kids that rode mm-hmm. his bus. And he's like, "What the fuck?" He's like, "Oh, hey guys, it's Charlie Rhodes. Don't attack me, blah blah." blah. And then they yeah, we're him. cool. We're all friends, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all know me. It's old Charlie Rhodes. And then you know they attack him and cut. And Norton dies in the elevator from on her short trip from the first floor to the second floor of the hospital. Mm-hmm. Ava Miller is turned by Ed Craig. She's in some sort of like half dream, half reality state uh, where she she dreams of them like getting it on a little bit, and then she gets turned. But then it kind of immediately melds into somebody who we assume is Barlow talking about different things. They're doing that. There's an old what is it? Welsh. There's an old a Welsh, Welsh Welsh dresser. Yeah, there's an old Welsh dresser that. That's hard to say, dude. Yeah, <laughs> old Welsh dresser that go. is uh, being talked about. He says that'll do nicely or something like that. They're going to move it or something like that. Yeah, they're going to do something with the dresser, and um, yeah, no, that's everything. There's uh, now at this point it's like three in the morning, and uh, we get another view of the townspeople. There's several townspeople who are awake. And scared. They don't know why they're scared, but they're sitting up with their lights on, windows drawn, and that sort of stuff. We also get a look at Parkins Gillespie, I think. He's at this municipal building at the station on like his 80th cup of coffee or something like that. He's, <laughs> he's staying up late. So there's just like a bunch of people that are up late at the lot, very late. There's a, at the end of this little section, they talk about how like travelers at night and stuff like that might have driven through the town, seen. That there was a bunch of houses with lights on at three in the morning. I thought, man, what the hell's going yeah, on? Yeah, it's kind of weird. <laughs> Corey Bryant shows up at the Sawyer house and attacks them. That's the the young telephone company boy and the the wife that were having an affair. Oh, cool. and uh, Reggie Sawyer who ran him off with a shotgun, but then he got turned by Barlow that same night or whatever. Yeah, what's his name? Corey. Yeah, Corey Bryant is the kid. Bryant, or the, yeah. not the kid, the the young man. He's probably like twenty five or something. It's a really long section too, and I think it's just because we had been given a long section with them be- several times before at this point, so it's yeah, to so provide some closure on characters that we spent time with. Yeah, we've got a little history with these guys, so that makes sense why it'd be so much. It also tells you shows you how strong that vampires are. Against. Yeah, because Reggie tries to blow him away with his double barrel shotgun, and then just disintegrates his clothes, but everything about him is fine. Yeah, <laughs> so really, like the only way you can fight them is with like the cross, yeah. <laughs> basically, <laughs> only good, the, yeah. the holy symbols. Cut back to Callahan again. He's on the Greyhound. They have stopped in Hartford, Connecticut. The bus driver says this is a scheduled stop. It's like a 20-minute rest, so Mm -hmm. you should go buy a sandwich or whatever it is that you want to do. Get off the bus for a bit, and we'll continue. Callahan 
just gives him money to go buy him some alcohol. To which the driver says, "There's the rules say you can't drink on the bus. I can't have anybody cutting up on my bus." He yeah, says. <laughs> Callahan increases the money and tells him to keep the change until he relents and goes to buy him a pint with thirty dollars. Yeah, Callahan is just reflecting on everything that's going on or that has gone on. At the one of the things that in the interaction he has with the bus driver, the bus driver says, "Just wait until you get you get off in New York. You can get whatever you want there." And Callahan says, I think you're wrong, friend, because he, he's thinking about how he can't get what he wants at this point, which is oh, to get yeah. back to God. I, I think what we've already discussed can just be further confirmed at this point that he's just a marked man set to wander the earth for however long it is that he does so. Yeah. <laughs> could be eternity, could be until whatever. The earth is no more, who knows, whatever. Dang, dude, that's crazy. I wonder if that's why... King brought him back in his other book because like even if it wasn't him, like you know? a planned move, definitely whenever it came time, it was like, oh dude, I've got this dude that I can bring back. That's dope. Well, it, took, <laughs> it took him like forty years to write the series, so he for sure did that. Yeah, that's a great point. He for yeah. sure did that. He like probably reread Salem's Lot and was like, oh, there we go. He's like, here's something I can guy. pull out of it. I've got a little rabbit in this hat. Yeah. The hunters wake and head to Marks to make stakes. Yeah, Marks the only one that's up and at him. He, <laughs> and, yeah, he like, ready he, to He's go. the one that wakes up first. He wakes Ben. Uh, maybe that was his shift. Oh, there you go. That <laughs> wakes Ben. Ben wakes Jimmy. They don't wake Matt because they drugged him to go to sleep <laughs> the yeah, night before. They're worried he's going to die. Right. Like, he should be resting. <laughs> and now that it's daytime, he's safe. Yeah. So they leave him asleep and go to Mark's. As they enter town, they can feel that it's gone bad. They comment that you can almost smell it. They stop at Barlow and Straker's shop to see if he's hiding there. It would be so obvious. They end up finding Mike Ryerson instead. Yeah, they found him in a crate or something, right? Cause they yeah, he's just like excited. in some container. Yeah, they got excited because they found a container in there, and then they started busting it open, and it was just It just Mike. ends up being Mike, yeah. They continue on to Mark's. Uh, when they get to Mark's, Mark can't get out of the car. He doesn't want to go into the house, so where everything just happened the night before. Mm-hmm. So Ben and Jimmy go and get a bunch of wood from behind the house and then take it down to the basement where Henry Petrie had a bunch of woodworking tools the Mark tells them that there's a lathe down there and they can get the work done a lot quicker with that. Yeah, Mark asks Ben to go um, cover up his parents just mm-hmm. if he can. And so uh, he does it with Ben the, makes a con- uh, like a point to do that. He's yeah. like, I told Mark I'd do it, so I gotta go do this whole He does it with like a dust cover from the couch or whatever yeah. it is. Something just right there. While they're in the basement, Ben and Jimmy sort of, they get into an argument because they, they realize what it is that they're going to have to do. That they're going to, it's going to take weeks for them to kill all the vampires if they even can do it oh they definitely don't think it's gonna work <laughs> so they this jimmy like kind of loses it for a second and starts to laugh almost hysterically mm-hmm. and ben says what you want to give up and then that's when the argument happens they get over it and they're like sorry man like this is all fucked up <laughs> yeah they're both just like yeah tensions are high it's cool like i get it I, that's why we <laughs> that's why we yelled <laughs> so then jimmy's thinking and he says we should do this a little bit more scientifically mark and i will go find vampires today and mark where they are. You keep. You just start making stakes, and then we, that way we can approach this more, you know, efficiently. Yeah, and it has to be Jimmy and Mark because Jimmy's been in the town for a long time, so people they are more likely that, yeah. to trust him. And then Mark's just a little kid, so right. Um, yeah, it'd be easier for them to knock on doors, like yeah, you said. Ben's also highly suspect for several things too. He's yeah. like, well, you he's were just there, a new dude yeah, in town, and yeah, mm-hmm. so it would not make sense for him to be in that party. Uh, to which Ben is sort of relieved. He's like, oh, thank God I don't have to do that. I would rather make mistakes right now. <laughs> yeah. So uh, as Jimmy's leaving the basement, he starts to have a bit of a revelation, but he can't really nail it down. 
Oh yeah, when he went and he, he looked back on Matt working at the. He has like some sort of a vision almost, yeah. and he can't. He just but he can't. He even talks put it about him going back it. up and down the stairs to try yeah. and like have it re deja vu into right, his yeah. brain. <laughs> Jimmy and Mark arrive at the McDougals. That's the uh, the little three piece family with the kid that would that would get beat and stuff like that. Yeah, in the mobile home. They find them in the crawl space, vampires. Mark has the idea to pull out Roy. Great to, idea. Yeah, to see if the sun is enough to kill them, which might be a little bit easier for them. They don't have to go through the trauma of smashing a stake into somebody's body over and yeah. over again. It uh, seems like it's working. Roy is like sort of writhing and crawling around in the sun. He's like boiling and melting, mm-hmm. which is too traumatic for Mark and Jimmy to stop him from going back. He because the way that I interpreted the description is Roy sort of, he like his eyes are closed the whole time, like he's still asleep. And mm-hmm. he just works his way back into the crawl space and turns over. And Mark and Jimmy are just too traumatized from the, the horridness of the scene that they don't stop him. Yeah. <laughs> they don't want to continue watching that through to completion, however long that might take. Yeah, they're, they're fine with that being a way to kill him probably, but they're yeah. just like... No, when I it comes know. to it, maybe they'll do it, but not right now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they don't have any stakes on them, so yeah, that's probably why they well. haven't been killing anybody either. But yeah. it's also the first day too, and the only person they have taken out so far has been Susan. So, mm-hmm. um, so they... Uh, yeah, they... Then proceed to the trailer next door where they find more vampires that Mark wants to sort of clean up a little bit after having dragged Royce out. He, you know, doesn't feel good. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Jimmy's like, that's okay. We can use the Evans shower. They won't mind. And I think that's literally the people that they just, <laughs> like, they just found them hiding in the shed or whatever as vampires. Mm-hmm. I think the husband is out in the shed uh, or the, the small garage, mm-hmm. but the, the wife and kids are laying in bed. Oh, okay. I missed um, that. I, I, I thought I, they were all in the garage for some reason. <laughs> just... And then while Jimmy's sitting there waiting on Mark to clean up, he's just thinking, uh, you know, sort of reliving different things. And then uh, suddenly his the revelation that he was beginning to have in the basement at Mark's finalizes. At which point we cut to an old student of Matt, uh, an old student of Matt who's visiting Matt at the hospital, obviously heard about his heart attack. They're talking about, not really talking about a couple, a bunch of different things. Matt obviously being obsessed with what's going on, is talking about the vampire not the vampires we're talking about different things Mm -hmm. related to uh there's a a a town in vermont or something like that that became a ghost town back in the 20s um which he has some interest in you know now thinking that maybe this had happened in the same way or at least something else and he's just giving him the whole story the old student's kind of like yeah yeah whatever like this is boring (laughs) oh yeah that kid was like he was doing it just to be nice like that was uh, they did I don't know why they brought him together because Matt doesn't remember this kid. He's like Herbert or Harold. It's one of those. Yeah. But uh, it's from know. the class of '61, I think. Oh, so, okay. it's been, so it's been a, while, a little like bit. It's 10, like 14, 14 years. years yeah. He remembers his grades, but he doesn't. Remember. <laughs> he knows it's either Herbert or Harold or whatever. It's yeah. one of the two. But during this conversation, Matt has another heart attack. Uh, the the bad one. Yeah. Yeah. So we he's... cut back to Jimmy and Mark. The the blue chalk isn't from a school is from a pool table that's his there realization are no pool halls in the lot yeah but people have pool tables mark oh. <laughs> and even mark is like i know that <laughs> but and mark's actually the one that remembers who has it <laughs> mark is the one that remembers it I think. no it's jimmy oh is it jimmy yeah. oh because he heard him talking about it the, mm-hmm. the hospital. Yeah. okay uh, so jimmy's going through a bunch of a memory that he has of whenever he started practicing and the lot and took over a lot of his father's business who had practiced and well, not in the lot in Cumberland County mm-hmm. uh, where the general hospital is where everybody goes and how so he inherited a lot of his father's 
uh, patients, one of them being Ava Miller, who went for a checkup and was talking about this old pool table that she had in the basement that she couldn't bring herself to be rid of because it was her husband Ralph's and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so he's, he's like, that's where Barlow is. He's in the cellar at Ava Miller's boarding house. Perfect place for vampires. He gets all the people there and then... Yeah. And then, yeah, and then he's, he's got the people surrounding him there at the boarding house. Yeah. Um, they kind of, they don't argue, but they discuss, like, should they go get Ben or should they just go? Demi says, if we just go to check it out, if we're wrong, we still have plenty of time to go get Ben and go to the school like we had planned. Right. If we're right, then we know not to go to the school. We go get Ben, we come back to the boarding house, yeah, we, we finish this it. together, yeah. They, so they go. They enter the boarding house. They can smell it. Find that it's dark. Mark looks for a flashlight and then hears a loud thump and screaming. He runs back Ugh. to the kitchen to find the cellar door open. Mark steps back into Ava's kitchen around 4.20, smeared with blood. Lol. He gets into Jimmy's car and returns to his house to find Ben. Ben is walking down Joyner Avenue when he spots Jimmy's Buick jerking up the road. He waves it down and finds Mark in it alone. Mark tells the story of how Barlow had removed the cellar stairs and laid a trap of knives on the floor. Jimmy fell into the cellar and died on the knives. Mark is totally beside himself. He feels like he sort of killed Jimmy uh, for not having mentioned that he noticed that the knives were missing from the rack and, and he different did, things like he that. He did write that in, that he noticed that the knives were gone, but, but he thought nothing of it at the time. about it. And he wrote it in the order where it wasn't like an afterthought either. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, okay, those knives aren't there, but whatever. Somebody took them probably because they were scared. You know, like... Yeah, just anything. Yeah. yeah. Just... Uh, like he just literally notices there's no knives, whatever, doesn't matter. Yeah. That, so he's... You know, totally upset about it, but then Ben has to sort of goad him into getting back into it. They, they've got no choice. They have to continue. So on the way back to the boarding house, they stop at a gas station for gas and uh, phone the hospital to see what's going on with Matt to bring Matt back up to speed because Matt probably doesn't know that Jimmy's dead. <laughs> yeah. Ben gets the news that Matt is dead. Because <laughs> we didn't know Matt was dead. So. Yeah, we just know he had a heart attack. We knew it was going to be man. the bad one. It is 5.15. Ben and Mark arrive at the municipal building to talk to Parkins. Parkins has already come to the vampire conclusion, but will be running from the lot. He's uh, totally given up. He doesn't want to face any of it. Parkins literally offers them like a gun at from the police station. Like if the cops yeah, are giving like, if you, you want guns, this, if you want this gun, go ahead and take it. I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah, like if the cops are giving you guns, like that's a it's probably not a good sign, <laughs> right? Like it's like right. okay, he's he's uh, he's worthless. This guy can't help us. It's at also all. sort of like old school, like. Being able to trust, and not that this is 100% the situation, but like, so, you know that like the story of the UT Tower here in town, right? Whenever the sniper mm-hmm. went up there oh, back yeah, in the yeah, yeah. 80s and was shooting people, there was a dude who was like at the, like a coffee shop across the street from it, just some adult man who saw what was happening and then went up to the officers at the base of the tower and said, give me a gun. They gave him a gun and then he went with some of the officers up to the top. Well, they're not <laughs> allowed to do that, dude. I'm sure, by protocol. Oh, yeah, that's like, super so, against the rules. But that Well, was... I mean, they're not allowed to do certain things, I'm sure, according to protocol. So well, if they have this wild card out there that it's like, well, he's a, not above the law, but he's not really listening to our rules. So yeah, but then it's also him breaking the law. Like, <laughs> oh, to go murder somebody, yeah. Potentially, yeah. But, but I mean, it's just murder, like, murder. but nothing happened. Like, he was fine. They just let him go. I mean, he he didn't end up being, like, the person that shot the sniper, but... Didn't he suicide himself, I thought? I, yeah, ultimately, I think that's what happened. Yeah. Um, but but it's not like the guy who just said, give me a gun, got in trouble, and then the cops yeah, didn't yeah, get in yeah. trouble for giving him a gun. That's just, like, sort of an old an older time when things like that 
was more common mm-hmm. potentially where it's just like get the town together we got to stop this you know yeah, yeah, same <laughs> option. but in any case yeah parkins is totally checked out he's he's like we already went through he's scared shitless he knows that there's an evil he can't be rallied. he's come to the vampire conclusion all on his own Same having everything that he's seen with the people that aren't dead he probably going over what happened at matt burke's house he's like well uh there was the, the screen was off the window uh there was no marks underneath the window like he knows everything that ben knows for the most part Mm-hmm. So he's Paul, and he even says it. He says, "So Barlow's a vampire, huh? Well, I'm I'm leaving <laughs> <laughs> without Ben and Mark even telling him that he's a vampire. He's already knows it." Yeah. Um, so they say like uh, Barlow's at the basement of Eva Miller's boarding house right now. He's like, "That's so." Parkin said with no particular surprise, "Vampire, ain't he? Just like in all those comic books they used to put out twenty years ago." It's just like vampire, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He already knows, and he's out. Yeah. Not so a they, bad call. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but ben and Mark leave. It is 5.30. They arrive at St. Andrew's about 5.45. They fill some vials with holy water and wash their f- hands and faces in it. Rhoda Curlis, Father Callahan's housekeeper, questions them. She knows that there is some evil in the town and accepts that the father lost and is gone. She urges them to continue to be about his work. It is 6.15 when they arrive at Ava's. Mark falters and then Ben brings him back. Oh boy, he whispered. Oh boy, oh boy. Uh, This is sort of some of the first times that we see him be like a child, even though he Mm -hmm. continues to to you know persevere and continue on. He's still like totally childish, not childish, but you know he's got all the fear. He talks like a child, saying like, "Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy." (laughs) (laughs) He's not like an adult saying, "Shit, this fucked up," or "Yeah, this is this bad. We can't," you know, whatever. Anything, yeah. Oh boy, oh boy, yeah. They go to the cellar. Ben retrieves the gun, hammer, and flashlight from Jimmy's body and covers it with some drapes that he finds down there. They find an old Welsh dresser by the wall where the smell is foulest. They push it over and find a door. The root cellar. The root cellar. The hammer is unable to break the Yale lock. That's why Barlow was specific. Or the Strick was specific about Yale locks. They're obviously Mm -hmm. very strong. (laughs) Hammer proof. Ben finds an axe and douses it with holy water. He begins to feel a power course through him as he holds the axe. As he hacks away at the door, he is glowing. Yeah, there's like a trail of light from the axe as he like, like goes up his arms, and because they also wash their hands and their mm-hmm. face, and so they've got the holy water on them, and yeah, then he like, like empowers the axe. Holy power, and, yeah. So it's just sort of like coursing through him, and he's got all the belief in him right now and everything too. Oh, faith is strong. Yeah. Describes him as a man possessed. Mark looks at him and knows that it is not a power that is Christian-like in any sense of the word, but more relevant to what we've you know speculated on several times now, that there's an old power of good and evil beyond that of the church. Hacks away at the door, finishes it off. They go into the root cellar. The root cellar is lined with the tenants turned vampire up to Barlow's coffin sitting at the end. Ben and Mark go to the coffin. They realize that it is super easy to lift. It's like nothing. They sort of feel like they're imbued with the holy power of the, mm-hmm. you know, the holy water that they wash themselves with. They carry it out pretty easily towards the entrance of the cellar where Jimmy's body is. Here it is, Jimmy, Ben said. Here the bastard is. Set it down, Mark. It is 6.45. 6.45, dude. Time is it, clicking. Yeah. Uh, closer and closer to 7 o'clock, which we know is it has been for a couple of days now when night comes. They open the casket and find Barlow. Mark looks into his eyes and is entranced. He attacks Ben. Ben fends him off, kind of uh, just about knocks him out. 
Oh yeah, has he to punch him in the jaw a couple of times. Yeah, Mark keeps coming. He's like imbued with the same uh, energy. It seemed like Anne uh, Norton or whatever was imbued mm-hmm. with like the just the never ending. Yeah, when you hit that entrancement, yeah. yeah, you're possessed. You you know. Yeah, he keeps going for that gun that they brought with him, and he's for Castlin's pistol. Sorry, and then uh, yeah. and then um, when he like he almost gets it on him, and and you know. Uh, he fires off a shot, but it, it, you know, yeah, Ben doesn't want to get. Sh- his yeah, he doesn't want to shoot Mark, and he doesn't want to get shot, and it's like it goes right by his head, and he's like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> you yeah. know, and, uh, so he, yeah, he has to. He kicks him a couple of times and like punches him out, and yeah, you know. Mark slipped to his knees, and Ben kicked his gun away, and Mark tried to go after it crawling, and Ben hit him again, <laughs> so he's out. It's six fifty one. Yeah, Ben is resisting the urge to look at Barlow. Six fifty three. Ben fumbles a stake. Pulls out another and realizes he left the hammer by the root cellar door. 6.55. Ben runs back towards the coffin. Barlow sits up and laughs. They lock eyes. God, dude, that's so scary. Like, <laughs> just the fact, like, he was laying down and he got he got mm-hmm. Mark just from the accidental glance. And Mark knew. He was one of the first yeah. ones to tell him, don't look in their eyes, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, so he knew not to do it. He was just still probably freaked out from earlier. When, Everything that's happened yeah, today. all day. Yeah. <laughs> so it's been a long couple of days. Yeah. And this whole time with the, you know, the timestamps that it keeps giving us every couple of minutes almost, it's also telling us about, you know, how the light's fading mm-hmm. right beyond the Marston house, uh, just like it has been the whole whole damn time it's Mm -hmm. the you know it's the harbinger of darkness ben runs back to the coffin barlow sits up and laughs they lock eyes with a last effort ben raises the stake and smashes it into barlow's chest he sits on top of barlow in the coffin smashing the hammer into the stake barlow fights and claws and screams here it comes you bastard ben sobbed here it is leech here it is for you the blood turns black and barlow disintegrates the other vampires have woken and are watching them they will not approach due to the holy water. Ben yeah. and Mark leave. No, that was cool. It's just like they did the holy water out of they like bathed themselves in holy water out of like instinct. He's just like, no, yeah. this will be fine. And right. then it was their shield at the end when like they would have been totally screwed. Yeah, <laughs> you know, because they ran out of time. They yeah, he killed Barlow when it was already past dark. It was nighttime. Barlow was moving. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he was waking up. The uh, yeah the description of whenever Barlow disintegrates is it's a really long description. It says that it happens like in ten seconds or something like that, but it's a couple of paragraphs of uh, uh, imagine what happens at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark. That's almost exactly what happens. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's pretty cool with a lot more vampire sort of feel to it. Like it kind of he disintegrates like into the air. There's a darkness and a shadow that you know kind of vaporizes and is a lot more that sort of stuff rather more than literally melting. Too. Yeah, I mean when <laughs> you're just showing people melt, it's a little different. But then when he gets all wordy about it, it's like the flesh was just like flaking off and turning to ash in the mm-hmm. air and stuff. It's like whoa. Ben and Mark drive away in his car. So because it went a little bit longer than we had anticipated, we didn't want to make it. Too long of an episode, two hours of listening is a lot to ask of y'all, so we obviously, as you now know, are uh, splitting this up where we're ending on chapter 14, uh, or at the end of chapter 14, rather, and next week we'll be uh, continuing with our thoughts on chapter 15 in the epilogue and, you know, just what we thought about the book in general. Obviously, this part right here is cut in, having recorded uh, the other thing later, uh, just for convenience sake for y'all. We don't want to put too long of an episode on y'all to listen to. So, and it'd be good. Just, I mean, if you have the time, give it a whole reread. I mean, that's really what I plan to do um, through the next week. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm going to listen to it, whether we do, right. uh, you know, you know, we're doing the movie eventually, anyway. So, 
I'm going to re-listen to the book because I want those details fresh, especially for the movie. And it's just, that's how I am with Stephen King books. I just, mm-hmm. I'll listen and this one hit me the same way. There's Maybe a lot to take again. in. It's worth going through again, for oh, sure. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Even, even with all the notes, you know, it's a... Uh, and you'll certainly have the time to do it at this point because uh, we're, one, going to, you know, publish a pre-recorded episode to cover 15 in the epilogue. And then after the week after that, we're watching the movie. Mm-hmm. So it, you've got time before we start the next book to go through it all again. Yeah, we're not out of the lot yet. But uh... I think I might <laughs> use that time to do some separate reading as well. I don't think I'm going to go over this again, but I'm going to do something different in regards to uh, an idea that we have for later on, which gotcha. I will keep secret. Ooh, from yeah, the fun. listeners, yeah. I'll, uh, I'll do some I'll prep need... work on that too because I'm going to need some. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what time, how much time I'm going to have. Otherwise, the, taking two weeks to give myself that time is what I need to do. What I'm thinking about doing, but uh, in any case, next week you'll hear us talking about chapters 15 in the epilogue and our general thoughts of the whole book, and then we'll be uh, preparing to go into watching the movie, mm-hmm. which will be the episode that comes out Christmas week. So look forward to that. And then after that, we'll uh, we'll go ahead and say that the next book is going to be Arthur and George, the novel. What we were talking about prior to starting this novel, uh, you know, we were deciding between Salem's Lot and Arthur and George. Uh, ultimately, what we decided was just to have it be the next one. Yeah. To, to continue our genre hopping, and this at this point, it'll take us through four major genres. We went modern fantasy, sci-fi, um, a horror, and now we're going to get into, uh, you know... Mystery. A Holmesian mystery, yeah. a classic in the very sense of the word. I'm excited for all of my speculations to be like blasted away because like, <laughs> I'm feeling that with that book, it's just going to be me sitting here throwing crazy ideas out there, and you're going to be like, "That can't work for this reason." And I thought of this, and I'll be like, "Oh, that's better." Or, you know, I mean, not even, or maybe, vice, do, or maybe vice versa, but like, I, d- I doubt that. I, I think, do really enjoy that. The theories and ideas that you come with are totally off the cuff and <laughs> off the wall. Yeah, I want them to. I want these authors to all be us, like all to come up with some weird, weird thing. Well, but. it makes it fun, and because in the way that we talked about early on when we were starting the podcast, having the two different perspectives, where you know the way that we look at things, is definitely what makes this what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the very least hopefully makes it more interesting for anybody listening yeah because we were just like two of the same mind just (laughs) sitting here agreeing with each other constantly like yes that is what happened moving on to the next thing yes this is what happened Moving Uh, on to the next thing that was boring (laughs) yeah Um, but in any case so yeah next week uh chapters 15 in the epilogue a week after that christmas week the salem slot movie watch that if y'all want to um we're just going to be going over what we think about it in a comparison more or less yeah seeing how it holds up it's definitely an older movie i think it's from the 80s or something so yes Um, (laughs) who knows the whole it might be terrible yeah i mean it held up but i don't know when that came out yeah that i mean that was also like a late 80s i believe yeah that fucked me up when i was a kid yeah thanks david and daryl recently yeah so thanks david Uh, and then after that we'll be starting arthur and george so we'll uh We'll see y'all later on. I'm Will Hedrick. And I'm Jordan Schaffer. This is Dog Ears and Timestamps. I'm sad to be done with vampires.